I'm Luke Simmons. And I am Seth Trout. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. All right. Well, welcome back to the King Culture Podcast. Awesome to have you with us, Seth. Uh, it's good to be with you today. This is a little bit different. We normally record in the morning. Today we're recording in the afternoon. It's a beautiful day. I was driving around today with all my windows down and uh, the sunroof open. You know, you can't do that, you know, before, you know, after about 7 a.m., but uh, I was able to do that for a little bit, and it was beautiful. It was lovely. When you're driving with your windows down, what is on your radio? Uh, today, it was uh, worship music. Usually, it's country music, um, but so, it's always music. I'm not uh, typically rocking out a podcast <laughs> with my windows down, though generally, you, you don't, don't rock to, out podcasts. You don't listen so. to King & Culture on two and a half speed at full volume in your car <laughs> while driving with your windows down? I do not. I do not. not Can you yet. listen? It. I don't have a two and a half speed. Mine taps out at two speed, two x. I'm, I'm a one and a half guy. Mine is two, as well, two speed. I just thought some there are exceptions. I guess. I wonder if when people talk to us in real life who listen on one and a half speed, they just want to like press. Like I find there's sometimes people I talk to. Oh, I wish they had a one and a half speed button. <laughs> that is true. Whenever, whenever <laughs> I listen, you, I listen up? to. I re-listen to this on one and a half speed, and I listen on one speed. I think that guy sounds drunk and stupid. <laughs> I'm talking about me, not you. That's a different. That's a different podcast, right? Drunk history, drunk theology with Seth Trout. Wow. Uh, maybe, maybe not. That'd be a good podcast to do once before I got fired. So. <laughs> that might, yeah, it'd be a, a good pathway. So, so yeah. So I had a beautiful drive, and today we're talking about beauty. Beauty. How much does it matter? Does it matter at all? Is it all frivolous? Is it like icing on the cake? Is it the cake? The 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 ancients had this triad. Of good and true and beautiful. Yeah. And basically everybody in the West believes that truth matters a ton. I don't think anybody... Do they? They don't live like it matters, I mean, but, in the, but they believe they believe the Western tradition, do you think still? If you ask a it's lot of contested, people... contested, at least, let's say. If you ask people, does truth matter? Everyone's going to say yes, but then they're going to live mm. not necessarily like truth matters. Like okay. everyone says truth matters. Does goodness matter, right? That's feels a little more relational, a little more subjective... Like we, we think that math can be true or false, right? But can something be good or bad? Is there ethics? Is there morality? That type of stuff. So that when you start talking postmodernism, it's debatable and good. But beauty in particular within the church feels very contestable. Like mm. the especially within the Reformation, our tradition. Roman Catholics had these big ornate sanctuaries and sure. cathedrals in the Reformation came around and like no frills, no polish, no fancy. Is that good? Was that a reaction to beauty or was that a reaction to excess and, you know, kind of cashing in on people's misfortune well, part to of take it is, their money and build a big gaudy cathedral? It almost certainly was a reaction to excess. But then what ends up happening is you have this culture that reinforces all beauty equals excess. Mm, so, yeah, what, sure. so what is excess? What is beauty? That's, I think, part of the question. Uh, you know, you build a building. Is that excess or is it necessity? And a lot of the question of even even the question is it excess reveals kind of a skepticism of spending money on beauty, right? Does a yeah. painting cost money? Does it not cost money? Uh, how much is worth spending? Right? People talk about the fine arts, mm -hmm. you know, which most of the time the word fine is not a great word. You know, if you said how was dinner, you say fine. You know, yeah, sure. How how was the date you went on? It was fine. Like how was the art? If you said oh, it was fine, like <laughs> there, but fine <laughs> arts tends to mean kind of yeah uppity. Maybe that's to me. Yeah, not not pop. Probably over and against pop art. Yeah, like refined. Yeah, like like uh, highbrow, high yeah, culture, sure. uh, musical theater, finely crafted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine, like a fine tooth comb. Yeah, like there's uh, not there's not a lot of big gaps. You know, it's sure it's well oiled. Like if there's uh, that type of thing. Uh, so my joke, people ask me if I like fine arts. I say no, I like good art <laughs> because I. Just, I don't like fine cheeseburgers. I like good cheeseburgers. Like there you I, go. I don't like fine conversations. I like good conversations. But good art, beauty, this process of things, I think that's a big question for us. Is One, does beauty matter? Two, how much does it matter? Three, how much does it matter in deciding whether something's true or not? Hmm. Right? Like, I think uh, when we hear something that rhymes, we're more likely to think that it's true. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. There's a lot of studies that show that, you know, and... Even like when you're writing a sermon, if you can get a good catch a phrase, right? Like 
couple weeks ago I preached a sermon and I was talking about fig leaves in the garden mm-hmm. covering our shame. And then I was also going to talk about forgiveness. And so I ser- searched uh, uh, vegan clothes and and mm-hmm. I was trying to find out because I was trying to find out what rhymed with loans and clothes kind of rhymes with loans. So I went, oh, well, there you go. Vegan clothes, forgiven loans. And people remember the title of the sermon. Yeah. And they were more likely to believe it to be true just because it rhymed. <laughs> and so didn't really change the content of the sermon, but that's a form of beauty. It's aesthetic, you know, design, sure. rhyme, poetry, mm-hmm. uh, looking at stuff. And it's interesting because a lot of people who say beauty doesn't matter are still like absolutely captivated by it and can't look away. Like it, it really affects them. Yeah. It almost seems like if you would say everyone would say truth matters, but live like it doesn't. The flip side maybe feels true about beauty. Like everybody, a lot of people would go, "Eh, I don't know if it matters, but we live like it does. Yeah. Because we're drawn to beautiful places. We're drawn to beautiful music. We're drawn to beautiful, aesthetically pleasing clothes and TV shows and everything. And people like there's Taylor and I watching this show and you know, the actor and actress are playing this character. And then you like, wonder, like they're playing a real characters. And mm-hmm. you look up what the real characters look like. And you're like, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor people look nothing like the, the WeWork show. The WeWork, yeah. yeah you yeah. look up, you know, and you have Jared Leto and, and uh, whatever her name is. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? What's her name? Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Yeah. yeah. Like Jared Leto's got a good looking dude. And then you, the guy's playing. You're like, oh, wow, that's quite <laughs> poor guy. So like even like the people we want playing real people, we want them to be more beautiful than real people. And so. Sure. And you could argue this is all terrible, idolatrous dehumanization that we care about beauty. And in some cases it is. In some cases it is. The objectification of people just for how they look or that kind of thing. Yeah, reducing people to images, reducing Mm -hmm. things to images. Sure. Uh, But then the question of why beauty? Why does this matter? Yeah, it's interesting. Even when you say, you know, truth, goodness, beauty, I sort of go, how did those become the three? Yeah. Like you could have had virtue. Or you could have had uh, wisdom. Or you could have had, uh, like, why that? Well, if you talk to folks who are, like, not Christians or considering becoming Christians, and if they said, if I asked them, why are you not a Christian? And they said, well, I don't think it's true. They'd be like, oh, okay. But if you asked them, why are you not a Christian? And they said, I don't think it's beautiful. You'd be like, are you serious? That you're gonna st- Well, frankly, I'd be like, tell me more. Yeah, because be that would weird. be such a surprising answer. Yeah. It's just not aesthetically pleasing. It's not beautiful. It doesn't captivate me. I don't like it. I hear a lot of people talk about is Christianity good for you or bad for you, right? Because there's whole parts of the country and the world who think that Christianity is objectively bad for you, whereas we think that God's law is good for us, even if sometimes it seems like we don't get how. Mm. But a lot of even when we talk about becoming a Christian or not becoming a Christian, there's is it true? Is it good? Is it beautiful? Does that even matter? Like in Mm. it's interesting as you say that because I I. I bet one of the main words I use to describe Jesus is beautiful. Has that always preaching? Has that always been the case, or is that new? I I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I, if <laughs> if we had some way to you know search transcripts of sermons, which I do not have, uh, we could figure that out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's very interesting. I I think, at least in in the tradition I grew up in, there was like a an assumption that beauty was always frivolous. It's meant spending money. Part of that might be what I internalized, not necessarily what was spoken. Mm-hmm. But even on like apologetics, meaning answering hard questions to faith, apologetics always centered around truth or goodness. Yeah. Almost always. Well, truth and when I talk goodness. about Jesus as beautiful, I'm probably mean more good. Like I'm not saying he was aesthetically pleasing, mm-hmm. but I'm saying the the quality of his life was so profoundly good that it actually is beautiful. Yeah. So this this idea of like arts aesthetic. Uh, designedness, mm-hmm. on purpose, plannedness. Uh, I think beauty would be the result of like aesthetic, or beauty would be the result of something captivating. So when you say he's beautiful, you mean captivating. Yeah. Like there's, we can even talk about living a beautiful life. And what we're saying is that person's life is worth imitating, following. Like yeah. When something's beautiful, you, you look twice. You go, oh, wow, that caught my attention. Yeah, you hear a story that's a little different, a little out of whack. Yeah, and that's, I think what I'm trying to say is I think Jesus kind of makes you look twice when you really see him. You go, Whoa. And yeah, so there's so there's also aspect of beauty, which is just difference. Hmm. Yeah. Like individuality. Sure. Like, And I think that's, uh, you know, part of, there's a show that Taylor and I watched. My, I have a friend who married an Irish woman, and they wanted us to show the show. It's called, like, Dairy Girls or something like that. It's about these okay. these girls who go to this. Let me Irish. guess. They work on a cow farm. Uh 
No, or it's Dairy like, Farm, I guess what it would be called. It's like Dairy Girls, D-E-R-Y. It's from a place in Ireland. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, so no cow farms. Dang it. Yeah, so bad guess, but nice <clears> try. <throat> but they they go to this prep school in Ireland. And oh, yeah, my, my girls watch this. Oh, really? I think they read the book, yeah. I don't know there's a book. But anyway, they wanted us to watch it, and there's like this episode where they're all going back to school. They all have to wear the same like navy blue blazers. And then on the first day of school, one of them shows up in a jean jacket, which okay. is like breaking the deal. Mm-hmm. And her other friend shows up, and she says to her friend, I thought we were going to be individuals this year. Where's your jean jacket? Right? <laughs> and, and this like desire to stand out, to be beautiful, yeah, but also to like not stand too much out. Like, I think that's part of like you watch like the fashion runway stuff, and you're like, what is wrong with these people? You know, and sure, but they're standing out too much. But like, what we really find beautiful is like stands out, but not all the way. Like you're kind of like the ideal. And so there's like a, an idealism to beauty as well, which I think is part of what makes Jesus beautiful is like, there's like an unattainability almost like, I want to be like him, but I can't, and yeah. like, I want to treat people like he treats people, but I can't. And so there's like an awareness of shortcoming. And so there's even like this desire mm-hmm. or like possible envy or jealousy of like, I want to be like him and I want my life to look like his life, but it, I'm just not measuring mm-hmm. up. And so some of that beauty is even like a desire that's hard to fulfill or, yeah. or want. But I think that, so we, we acknowledge beauty is powerful in that art and the arts design. Like, and I, and I think one of a parent's worst nightmares would be their kid wants to be an art major because <laughs> sure that, that equals like you're going to live at my house for yeah, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Tara and I went and took a, one of those like date night painting classes. Okay. And they're like how to paint, you know, and yeah, those are fun. Yeah. We did great. And oh, I, that's, I was being very presumptive. We, <laughs> we did it. It was great. You know, and, we have paintings now. So. Was it good art or fine art? It was, it was, it was okay. Fine. It was fine. It was coming up on fine. Let's say the art was fine. It was not fine art. Yeah. <laughs> but we're done. And it was poor lady teaching the class. You know, someone's like, did you go to school for this? She's like, yeah, four years. And I was like, bummer. You know? <laughs> you know? And, sure. And here you are teaching idiots like me how to paint a palm tree with on a Friday night. You know? So, <laughs> um, but anyway, like, is it worth investing in art, creating design, the like architecture, you know, structural design, these type of things. Uh, or is it all just waste? You know, people are starving and people are hungry and people don't have health care and people are suffering and we're here creating art and yeah. caring about beauty. Does it, is it all frivolous? Is it all privilege? Is it all excess? And I think that's part of the question I want us to process through a little bit is how does the Bible treat beauty in contrast to even like some of like the way that secular folks treat beauty? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because if uh you know if it's survival of the fittest i'm not sure where beauty comes in there other than maybe it's a you know it's a way to allow people to self-select to help have a better gene pool or something i don't don't know but like that would explain maybe physical beauty in the opposite sex but i don't know if that would explain like music yeah the the whole like evolutionary explanation for beauty is genes that are most faithfully that like we're attracted to symmetry and genes that look like they would do well at fathering or mothering children. Well, that's even funny though, just because the beauty standards have changed so much. Yeah. From generation to generation. Yeah. And also it's like someone who is a pure naturalist can say beauty is just the result of chemical reactions in my mind, desiring to pass on my genes. And they can know that and say that, but live like beauty matters tremendously and it has tons of power over them. And so trying to explain it away through naturalism doesn't change how much grip it has on us and how much effect it has on us. And especially people who have absolutely zero desire to reproduce are still captivated by physical beauty in other people. And Mm. it's a huge problem. And so really within like secular thought, there's beauty as through like the pure naturalistic sense, which is uh, it's all survival instinct. It's all reproductive instinct and it doesn't really matter besides like we've been sociologically conditioned passed on from generation to generation to believe that matters. Then on the other side, you have kind of like this hedonism nihilism sense. So nihilism, nothing happens when you die. Uh, Epicurious in old Greek thought, you know, Epicurious was the founder of Epicureanism, which is how those things tend to go. Right. And he was a hedonist. He's like, all that matters is indulgence of beauty. That eat, drink and tomorrow you die. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's, it's fancy nihilism. You know, nihilism is nothing matters. Epicureanism is because nothing matters, just run after pleasure by all means necessary. So the Epicureans were not like determinists and they didn't believe in the afterlife, but they thought that like any restraint 
on the pursuit of beauty or the experience of beauty, whether it's staring at a waterfall or staring at a woman or um, getting blasted and you know tripping out, all of any restraint on that is actually dehumanizing, and so you shouldn't do that. And so mm-hmm. most folks nowadays functionally, I think, are Epicureans while saying that they're naturalists. Mm-hmm. And that leads to this both beauty doesn't matter and also it's the only thing that matters in the way that I live my life. Interesting. Yeah, well, and it feels like, um, I mean, is 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 beauty useful is kind of a question I think of. Yeah, there's instrument instrumentality to it. Does it function? And and so even like... Does I, it need to? Yeah. Yeah, so that's... So there's... Within Christian thought, I think there's kind of two big things that we see within beauty. With uh, beauty. One, we need to acknowledge like the creation account that God could have made the world without beauty being compelling. Hmm. He could yep. have not designed the world. Like the world could have been a big white square sure, with stick figures running around in it saying, glory to God. Right, yeah. Right, there could have been no bodies, no minds, no no eyes, no ears, no smell. Like like we have this, it's like Christianity is a sensuous religion. Yeah, like sure. Of the sense, like there's, we're very sense bound. You know, it's taste and see the Lord is good. Is when I love that there's even like, you know, people will stumble on these creatures in the sea or they'll stumble on these new places that no person has ever been. And it's like, it's spectacularly beautiful. And it's like, no one even knew it was there. It was like, God just made it beautiful because God likes things beautiful. Yeah. So, so that's like the first part from creation is you have God designing a world. The Genesis one account is poetic. It is structured. It is designed it is like verbally compelling. There's rhythm to it. There's pace to it. Um, there's spacing to it. All of which are like parts of good design and aesthetic and structure. And so God creates a beautiful world, and He gives humans made in His image the ability to appreciate different aspects of beauty. And He makes the world objectively beautiful. Like this whole one of the things I think we get caught up in is like this whole beauty's in the eye of the beholder thing, um, but that's oftentimes not really the case. Like C.S. Lewis, so um, when I was in high school, not when I was high school, when I was in college, about 20, uh, one of my buddies uh, told me, like, hey, there's a C.S. Lewis scholar coming into town. He was, like, ahead of Wheaton's school of C.S. Lewis. He's, like, the C.S. Lewis professor guy. Okay. And he was going to be in Maricopa. And, wow. I, and I was living in Tempe, and I was, like, I'm driving to Maricopa, I guess. Yeah. So I drove down to Maricopa. We were sitting around a campfire smoking pipe tobacco. and he Just had, like, you and this dude? Or, like? Me, this dude, and this other guy. Oh, okay. And so... Three of you. Three of us. Did yeah. you know it was going to be that small? No, I don't... You thought you were, like, going to a thing. Yeah, I, did, I thought it was, like, a, an evening with, and it was okay. an intimate evening. It was. <laughs> right. And here's this guy who's, like, read every C.S. Lewis book about 75,000 times, right? And he's probably 70 years old. And talking to him, I asked, like... So, I, at this point, I'd read Mere Christianity, some of the Chronicles of Narnia stuff. And Caesar was big, this big thought leader, and he'd written all, all these big popular books. And I asked him, uh, so what do you think like the most important thing Caesar Lewis wrote was? Hmm. And he said, well, what I think about that doesn't matter. And I was like, well, obviously it does. So, <laughs> it, so yeah. and he said, but what C.S. Lewis would say his most important thing was, which is a great professor gotcha moment, you know. And, and he said, C.S. Lewis said the most important book he ever wrote was The Abolition of Man. Okay. Have you ever read that one? I haven't. Yeah, so it's short. It's maybe 50, 60 pages, at least the copy that I got was. And it's all about, in this book... So had, you, had you read it at the time you asked him this? Never even heard of it. Okay. I didn't know anyone who never read it. And and I was thinking, well, that's interesting. So I went and got the book. And yeah. the book is all about... Cecil Lewis is writing about this book called The Green Book. And it's this like subjectivist take on art, and it's a children's book. The Green Book is. The Green Book. I don't know what the book is actually Is that a real thing or is that like a He was writing about a real book, but he's writing about it in euphemism. There's this thing called The Green Book and it sucks. That's like the whole thrust of this episode. Unrelated to The Green Book of the American South that there was a movie about a few years ago. Unrelated to that book. It is not a racist book. It was a (laughs) bad take on beauty, which I guess would also be another way of addressing racism. But anyway, so (laughs) this book was talking about how these two guys go for a walk in the woods and the one guy sees this waterfall just ripping over the edge of a cliff. And he says, wow, that waterfall is beautiful. And the other guy corrects him and says, no, what you mean to say is that waterfall is beautiful to you. And so the whole question is, is beauty in the eye of the beholder or are things objectively beautiful? 
Okay. Is creation beautiful, period, or is it beautiful to me, period? Like, and so is beauty all subjective or is it objective? And C.S. Lewis goes on to say this abolition of man, he's talking about like he calls it men without chess. Uh, and by that he means like the chest is the place of conviction, like your heart, the things you believe on that you'll punch a table for, that you'll, you know, not well, I've heard I've heard that phrase that comes from that book. Comes from that book, yeah. Okay. These men without chest, men without conviction, men without belief, men who won't stand for anything, men are just blown about because they have no spine, no chest. And so, for when Cecil says someone who has a chest, uh, he means someone who has conviction and belief. Okay. And and he also goes saying like, if we go into like this subjective world where nothing's really beautiful except for beauties in the eye of the beholder, you end up having these people who don't have any conviction because everything's relativized. And he ends up saying that the subjectivization of beauty rather than the objectification of beauty is like the slippery slope that leads to total moral relativism. Because if you can't just see, say a waterfall is beautiful because God makes beautiful things, then you won't like you, a basic thing like that should command conviction and you'd be kind of nuts to be like, well, I guess it's just beautiful to me. And you're, if you're willing to like cave on waterfalls being beautiful, then you're going to cave on anything and you're basically good for nothing to society. And is that why Lewis thought of that as such an important work? Yeah, because the book ends up going on and saying that this whole like relativization of baseline reality that, you know, blue is blue, waterfalls are beautiful, Jesus is Lord, those all go hand in hand and Hmm. says like, no, beauty is beautiful. And if you don't, if you can't see beauty in the created order and the way that God has made things, then you are the problem. It's not just, no, it's not beautiful to me. It's, it is beautiful. You just don't see it. Hmm. And so he was arguing hardly hardcore for like an objective beauty. And he was even applying that to like, not just romance and dating, but like people are made in God's image and they are beautiful, period. Hmm. Kind of rejecting the Darwinistic view of, we have this selective, you know, um, account of who counts and who doesn't count and, mm. and all these things like that. And he's saying, no, people are made in God's image. They are beautiful, period. And if you can't see it, then you're the one who has the problem. It's not the person that you so perceive as being ugly or not ugly, that there's just an inherent beauty to things and to people. And even the way that God designed them to grow and to shrink and to mm. rise and to fall, this is all part of like a beautiful design wow. that's telling a story and there's drama and there's climax and resolve and tension and stress and like God is telling this beautiful story with every person, with everything, with every deal. And so beauty is woven into the creation. And if you don't see it, then mm. you have the problem. Yeah. And so he was arguing that creation is beautiful period. And so that whole idea of beauty as being part of the main thing that God even uses to uh, shape us and move us and form us. And so on the one hand, beauty is important because God made it and that yeah. should be all the argument you need. The fact that God made things beautiful and gave us senses to observe it and see it and appreciate it should be all the reason we need to say beauty matters. On the other end, beauty is extremely formative. It attracts us. Mm. It draws us. Sure. You see the tension. We see this, like we said earlier, the creation account of like the the design of creation. But then also you see this when you like when people are going to read the Bible, mm-hmm. they go, I'm going to read the Bible start to finish. You know, they typically will get to about Exodus something. <laughs> Sure. Like, well, this got boring all of a sudden. Right. Like, there's a lot of action. Yep. Genesis, first part of Exodus. You get to Exodus, it starts to get boring. And then there's like these relentlessly detailed descriptions of the tabernacle. Yeah. Right. Of the dwelling place of God. Yeah. And I remember like, preaching that in Exodus. And uh, it actually turned out to be one of my favorite sermons in that series. But, but yeah, at first glance, it's like, what in the world? It's like chapter after chapter of like details of how this thing's supposed to be designed. Well, it gives you the. <laughs> If I remember correctly, I think it's in Exodus where it's like it's chapter after chapter of the plans and then chapter after chapter, almost the exact same thing of them actually building it. You basically get it twice. Yeah, and you're like going, these folks like don't have endless supplies of paper here. Like, yeah, they have you know, to they're stamp writing out on this papyrus and one on, bit at a time. Like, yeah. This must be important if they're going to go through all the trouble to repeat all this again. Yeah, and Moses writes it twice on the same scroll and... Yeah. Passes it on. Well, and what was so interesting about the tabernacle stuff was it was so so much of it was echoes of creation of the Garden yep. of Eden. Yeah. So there's this God wove the wove beauty into creation and wove the depreciation and desire to experience beauty in the five senses as he made humanity. And then when he's designing the place of worship, he's making use of the the beauty value that he created in humans to be like the place of formation that they'd be most spiritually formed that beauty would be part of what forms them and i think that's one of the dangers now of so much like 
digital media is like what your eye and ear are drawn to forms you. And that's part of the reason why mm-hmm. God designs the temple so beautifully is like he wants to be this compelling um, whole body experience. It's one of the reasons why we have lights in our services and screens. It's not smoke and mirrors meant to deceive or manipulate. It's going, people care about beauty and beauty is formative. And we want, we think people experiencing beauty is a goal. It's not just experiencing truth at church. It's not just experiencing goodness at church, but experiencing beauty at church does matter. And that's mm. part of like, we get that from the design plans of the temple in the Old Testament, that we're not that, but we acknowledge God's intentionality in creating that. Yeah. Makes me think even of our physical building, which is probably about on the line of how how uh, just aesthetically driven you could be. You know, there there's this reality in, um, I heard someone once say that, you know suburban people because they only appreciate the absolute obvious in art. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, can you explain it to me? Do I get it? Is it clear? Is it obvious? And um, there is something even about our building, which just because there's kind of an aesthetic intent to it, um, feels actually even more expensive than it is. Uh, most of our building is actually made out of wood and metal and which nowadays is really expensive. Uh, we saved quite a bit of money by not building it right now. But um, but it's interesting because there are there are pieces of even just the design of our campus where sometimes people have gone, well, what's that about? It's like, well, it's just pretty. Yeah, and and for some people, that's not a good enough answer. And what I want us to be okay with is going, that's okay. I just like the way it looks. Like Sometimes we have to over-spiritualize everything and, and say like, well, God told me to... And it's like, one, he probably didn't say that. See previous episode on taking the Lord's name in vain, you know, but also beauty is an end in and of itself. Beauty is good, period. That like experiencing facilitating beauty is, is a good and beautiful thing. Mm. And, and often, so here's the other thing is a lot of like in philosophy, there's a whole genre called aesthetics. And there's a lot of debate on how much should aesthetics matter on whether you're deciding something's true or not. And, you know, that's part of the reason why like news anchors tend to have loads of makeup on is that people will believe people who are beautiful or beautified, I guess you could say, or, mm. or yeah. wow. you can debate about that. But even like you think about designing a sermon, like how much would you say your sermons are designed versus just like preached? Like think, like tell me about your sermon prep process. Oh man. Um, yeah. I mean, the good ones are pretty, <laughs> pretty well. I mean, they're all pretty designed. But, um, yeah, I mean, the way I think about a sermon is I think about it a lot like cooking where it's like the, the early stages of the development is just kind of gathering ingredients, figuring out what is in this text, what does it say, uh, what are some insights or quotes or things that other people have said related to this, and you're kind of gathering up all these, all these true things um, about it, and you're gathering these ingredients. And then the real, um, where, it, where it goes less it goes more from like science into art is when it's starting to think through the design of the sermon. Like, well, what is the, you know, okay, here's all these ingredients, but what am I cooking? You know, what am I going to make? What, what's the dish that I'm preparing here? And then, um, you know, kind of figuring that out and going, okay, well then what accent flavors are needed and what's going to, you know, make, so I realize I'm combining lots of analogies here. But even at some point, like plating matters. Sure. What are you going to put it on? You know, yep. you, you create this beautiful meal and stick it on, you know, Spider-Man paper plates and right. it, it changes the experience. Right? And yeah. And the table you sit at is at a picnic table. It's inside. All that's like part of like the design and process of it. Well, and, and it is the, it is that design part that is part of the most difficult, but also part of the most fun for me in the process is going like, man, here, there's a 200 things I could say, but I get to say one thing. What, what, what am I going to do? What's the angle? How's it going to look? Not, not like look physically, but like how does this make sense? And well, and I think I spent a lot of time with a thesaurus thinking about words that rhyme or th- words that sound good together or words that start with the same letter or words that have just like, you know, 10% more, hmm, you know, that's interesting compared to another word or, you know, so. Well, and I think that the work you do in designing the sermon is an act of love. Because you're recognizing the human tendency to tune out, to check out. Yeah. And if you just get up there and tell people what's true, what's true, what's true, what's true, what's good for you, what's good for you, what's good for you, people feel lectured at, people feel like uh, probably even judged. Mm. But when you make it beautiful, you're helping people pay attention, you're helping people stay engaged, you're helping people 
be captivated. Yeah. And so it's this. That's an interesting. I mean, that, that is not a category I think of when it comes to like, I need to design a beautiful sermon. Um, but maybe I, I don't know, maybe I won't. But, but it's part of the function, that's interesting. Of, it's function, function of beauty is, you know, we talk about how sermons aren't measured in minutes. They're measured in minutes past interest. Right. Yeah, and, sure. and part of what creates interest is the beauty. Yeah. Right. That's the reason why people can watch an hour and a half movie without totally zoning out, but they probably couldn't listen to an hour and a half sermon without zoning out is because a billion dollars are spent on making the movie beautiful, right? <laughs> sure. there's, there's just more, yeah. like how many producers, how many audio engineers, how many costume designers, like there's like the, the beauty is what it helps you not look away. And I think that that is part of the function of beauty is, is there are certain things God wants us to try to not look away from. And I think about even, so we talk about Genesis, the temple, but there's also this picture of beauty in Revelation and the new heavens and new earth when beauty is finally unobstructed, when there's like this this union of God and man in, in, a, in a powerful way. Mm. And this this uh, talks about how the, the dwelling place, the new Jerusalem, the designed city that God has kept in heaven for us, our inheritance, and he's bringing it to earth for us to live in. And he says, coming down out of heaven, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Mm. Right, and, and there's like this picture of like, even like the adorning of a bride on her wedding day and it's like, you know, the bridezilla thing is a thing for a reason because it's like everything's got to be perfect, you know, and and the amount of makeup and the amount of hair and the amount of this money spent on the dress. and yeah, yeah, It's yeah. interesting. It's, a lot of times I'll ask someone, oh, you went to a wedding? Oh, how was it? Oh, it was so good. The bride was beautiful. Yeah. That's what they'll say. It's just that's a really interesting. They'll say, oh, the sermon was short or the food was great. I mean, they do say that sometimes, but like the mostly bride, they'll the say bride was, was beautiful. Mostly they'll say the sermon was long. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right. Wow, that wedding was they great. Actually it was brief. They actually won't say anything about the sermon. Depends if you're doing it or not. I have heard people say about how, uh, you know, man, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my sermons really short on, on weddings in particular. Yeah. And mostly it leads to me hearing stories of people saying, like, I was at this other wedding, and <laughs> man, the guy had something to say, and he didn't even try to make it interesting. Right. He just kept going and going. But this idea that, like, when when the author of Revelation, John, is being moved by the Spirit to write it, he just is assuming that an adorned bride is a very good thing. It's not excess, it's not frivolous, it's not privilege, it's not waste, it's not, it's just good. Like there's, like being adorned and beauty is yeah. is a good and compelling thing. And we're going to, and if we're going to see the place that God has made for us, and it's going to, like you think about one of my favorite parts of the, doing weddings is when you see the the husband or the not yet husband see the wife, you know, mm-hmm. and eyes well up and yep. all these tough guys kind of become... I mean, the healthier ones like melt for a minute, you know, yeah, and there's sure. like this, wow, my wife, you know, yeah. or my soon to be wife. And, mm-hmm. and there's like this, you know, he's not tempted to do is what's happened on Instagram. Like <laughs> sure. for, for a moment, he's right. not tempted to go, what was the score of the game? And if he was, then right. that's going to be an indicator of things to come. Right? Sure. But, but there's this captivating, compelling, gripping moment of beauty. And God is saying, what I'm making for you will do that. Huh. Yeah. That we'll see our eternal dwelling place. And it'll be this captivating, compelling, I can't wait to be with it. And, and, and that beauty is good and it draws us and it moves us. And I think that appreciating beauty, because like you got in Genesis one creation, you got in revelation 21, the new creation, you got it as like the temple dwelling place of God. It matters that like the, the appreciation and designness and beauty of these things, there's both the function of them, how it forms us, shapes us, helps us not look away to things we should look at. But there's also just the pragmatic reality of, God made us appreciate it, so why not appreciate it? And yeah. so uh, the fact that you see Jesus as beautiful is, I think, one of the things that actually guards us from unhealthy Christianity. Because mm. if we see Jesus as just true, then there'll be like this sense of like duty. I don't want to, but I have to. It's like eating your vegetables. Right. Sure. Right. Uh, I believe this is what I should do, and so I will do it. And there's like this begrudging, I gave up all this you know, good things so I could do this boring, lame thing called follow Jesus. And I think it's in the beginning of John Piper's book, Desiring God, like to those who gave everything and feel like they gave nothing because they actually got everything. He he says it more pop, more better than that. More beautifully. More, (laughs) more beautiful than how I just said it. Yeah. More beautiful than that. But, and if Christianity is beautiful, then there's like this desire. Yeah. Right. Then it, it's not just this legalistic, joyless, duty of something that I have to do so that I can just, uh, yeah. but it's going like, I want to do this. I'm mm. this, I'm not like giving up all this good stuff for God. Sure. I'm getting the best stuff by walking closely with Jesus. 
And and that I hit I heard this quote this yesterday I was reading this thing called uh, it was all about um, spiritual disciplines and one of the things this guy says is you're as close to God as you want to be. And I just felt so zapped by that. Mm. It's like uh, when you really see him as beautiful, you'll get closer and you'll want to get closer and you want to get closer. Yeah. Well, there's all these other things we want. And I think the clearer our eyes, the more beautiful we see Jesus has and the more appreciation we have for beauty in general. And and I think that we can see that in the way we inhabit the world around us. Like whether it's watching movies, listening to music, like the lighting a candle, smelling a smell. Sure. Like appreciation and experience of beauty is part of what God designed us to do. So can I ask some just like questions that are popping in my head as we're talking here? Yeah. So one is... Um, how do I know if something is objectively beautiful or subjectively beautiful? I think a big chunk of it is my subjective experience of beauty is related to typically my story and my values. Uh, but, you know, the world outside of us, so far as it's not marred by sin, is just objectively beautiful. And this is one of the things that Augustine's view of sin helps us understand is that sin is never a thing in itself. Evil is not a thing in itself. It's always the derivation or the perversion of a good thing. And so uh, whether it's like take like a tree that just fell on a car, right? Like the tree is beautiful. The tree falling on the car is not beautiful, right? There's like evil, corruption, decay tends to pervert things. Mm -hmm. Um, But even then, like the way that God's writing dramatic story, being able to see the beauty, even in the way of things are decaying is part of our ability to see that, that God writes these complicated dramas and he writes these stories and seeing God as this like good author who doesn't write a, a plot with no drama, but there's, something involved and engaged there and so 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 there's a kind of i mean so there's a waterfall that's just objectively beautiful but there's music right and one person might go oh man when i hear this music it just my heart soars it's just and someone else is like yeah i don't get it Not, not beautiful yeah so like how do you know is are you kind of saying like hey things are just part of god's creation like it's direct creation so music, or, or how are you thinking about that? Music as a category is beautiful, hmm. right? Like okay. there's a category of music and then there's like how good or bad things live up to their category, right? And good music, bad music is going to be largely cultural, individual, preferential. But I think like, like say like if I was going to listen to some like um, music from sub-Saharan Africa, that's n- separate culture, separate distinction. Even like I've heard like some music from India yeah. that's like, Indians love it. I listen to it and I'm like, doesn't do it for me. Sure. Right. But I think part of maturity is being able to see what other people see and be able to see the beauty through their eyes. So it's like secondhand experience of beauty. Yeah. Right. Like trying to like see a local culture's appreciation of something mm-hmm. and being able to see how and why they see it as beautiful, even if it's not necessarily personally done that. So that's like, I think the best part of some aspects of multiculturalism is like being able to see what different cultures see as beautiful and understanding and experiencing why. I don't think we need to do that for everything. Like there's a bajillion things on earth you're going to spend tons of time. Yeah. But I think that's largely derivative of a relationship. Like I like uh, Kendrick Lamar, you know, so uh-huh. I don't think everyone should go listen to him. You know, listen or beware on whatever his stuff is. Yeah, sure. You know, but like I listen to it and I hear the poetry and I hear the process and I hear the story and I hear the person and I go, wow, right? Most of my friends I've talked to lately, including... Me, <laughs> including you, including you, including my wife, go like, uh, help me understand why this is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I listened to most of his new album and I thought, uh, this is clearly, there's something going on here that I'm not seeing. Yeah. But this and, is not like just, this is not, it, it feels like there's times when you watch a really well-crafted movie and you're like, ooh, I don't think I get it, but this is well done. Yeah, it's you, kind of that. You can appreciate the, the, the guy's hitting his target. Uh-huh. I'm not sure why he was hitting that target, but he's in that target. Yeah. So one of the things I've appreciated is I talk to people, I really like this album, and I go, why? And I talk about like, the arc of the trauma and the way he's processing it, and father wounds and mother wounds and unhealthy resolve and various addictions and the way that's resolving and breaking generational patterns. And so I explain to people what I see and how I see it and why I think it's beautiful. And they'll go like, oh, sometimes they'll be like, oh, I'm glad you see that good for you. <laughs> but there's, or they're like, well, I mostly just heard the F word a million yeah. times. <laughs> I just heard F word, B word, N word. That's all I heard. And, and so like trying to like inhabit a culture and appreciate sure. the system and process. And so part of it is like, I feel loved by people taking an interest in why something is beautiful. And sure. in, in me helping people see what I see is beautiful. They go like, that is beautiful. I just don't totally see it. 
Yeah. Right. And so there's a difference between that's, that's not beautiful or that is beautiful. I just don't see it all the way. Yeah. And so even like we all, <laughs> this is going to be a hurtful example probably, but you might have a friend or someone who like is marrying someone and you're like, what does she see in him? <laughs> or what does he see in her? Yeah. A lot of people that knew Molly were wondering, <laughs> what does she see in that guy? And, but there's something to like both like the, the clarity that love creates, like you see things other people don't see. And also sometimes the folly that love creates, you don't see things that other people see. Yeah. And so relationships matter a ton in the way people see things. But what you don't say is she doesn't see anything in him. You say, what does she see in him? Yeah. Like there's something she's seeing that makes her want to marry him. And I don't see it, but I believe that she sees it or something yeah. like that. So there's this assumption that there's some measure of attractive beauty that's there. Cause most of the time when you're talking about that, you're not talking about someone's physicality. You're talking about like them as like a personality. Sure. So another question that, that I'm thinking of just as we're talking is, okay, you've convinced me beauty is important, and it's especially important for Christians who are made in God's image and live in God's world, which is filled with beauty. Um, the question is how important? Like how does a pursuit of beauty or an enjoyment of beauty um, relate to other pursuits or other desires or other, right? So like, okay, that painting is ten thousand dollars and i could have that painting or i could have a car how important is the beauty now so i think this question would be so i think people are always pursuing beauty with their whole selves whether they admit it or not right and there's different like elements and different world like i read an article this morning about this family that's fighting over this billion dollar estate in europe that has the one caravaggio painting on the ceiling of anywhere in the world right and oh, wow. so so like I have a Caravaggio print in my office, mm -hmm. not an original because I'm not a multi-billionaire, <laughs> you know. Um, but they're fighting over this, right? And they're going back and forth on billions of this, right? Whereas other people that spend 12 bucks at Target to buy a little poster stick on the wall is like a big investment. And so there's always like a live beneath your means financially. That's just good, wise stewardship. That part of what's beautiful is having a well-designed bank account, whereas more goes in than goes out. That's <laughs> There's beauty. That's beautiful. There's beauty in simplicity, and there's beauty in a, ba a bank account. Black ink is yeah. uh, beautiful. There's beauty living in the black, right, up and to the right, and you kind of want that to be your position. And so, But also there's like, when you talk about like designing or building a life, you're always balancing multiple values and desires. And so that's why I think reducing beauty to like fine arts is silly, right, because there's beauty in living beneath your means. There's beauty in a good deal on a Honda Civic. There's beauty in a $90,000 truck that goes bonkers all over the, the the waves and winds and can pull tons of stuff. Like there's there's different types of beauty expressed in these different things, but they're all somehow, we're designing our lives, we're building our lives, we're architecting our lives. And so the pursuit and development of different aspects of beauty is part of our life all the time. And, and I think that even as we're making these value judgments about what I put on the wall, what I don't put on the wall, uh, we're reflecting part of like our individuation, our creativity and the way that we're expressing and manifesting or creating beauty in ways that other people are or are not or participating in different groups and things like that. And so, so I think beauty always matters a hundred percent and we're always somehow engaging and considering beauty as we go about building our lives. How, okay. Last question that, I, that pops in my head is uh, how important is it that I, that I look beautiful? So I get this question a good amount from time to time, different people. So I hear people, so I grew up, I was like, I spent this time where my family was the only like non conservative homeschool family in this little group at the church. So like, okay. we were the public school family that did PE and they're like the jean skirts down to the ankles type stuff. And if that's you, then no offense, but, um, that was not you get over yourself. Yeah. So, so oh, well now offense. no offense. Yeah. But the no offense, but, but there's this huge controversy in the group was, should you wear makeup or not? Okay. Right. And there's like the, your body's a temple, blah, 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 blah. God made your way it is. But I remember reading first Corinthians, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Bible, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but like this, this reality of, okay, our body's a temple, but look at how much design goes into the temple in the old Testament. Mm, yeah. The ordain, the adorning of walls, the colors of the, this, the smells that do this, like, should you take showers and smell good? Well, the temple, they had incense burning. So making the temple smell good seemed to matter. Right. And, you had certain things on the floor, certain things on the wall, certain things on the ceiling. Like there's a designness to the temple that if our bodies are dwelling places of the Holy Spirit, there's an aspect of designness to our bodies that I think even matters. And I think the pursuit of presenting the beauty that's within me 
right? And there's like, God's made me beautiful. I'm beautiful because I'm made in God's image. Like you're, Luke Simmons is beautiful. Seth Child's beautiful. That's not a subjective take. You're beautiful. Yeah, just like that. Just yeah. like. Your voice is. <laughs> not beautiful. It's beautiful in the sense that God made it, but not in the sense that I enjoy <laughs> it. So, but, so, 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 but so my oh, point, my okay. point is. I have more. God has, God has made us beautiful. And I think presenting that in appropriate ways is part of life. Like there's. there's so should I color my hair? 100% you should color your hair every time. <laughs> I don't mean me. Always color your hair. People. Yeah. Go, hey, you know what? I'm in my 30s and my hair's turning gray. Should I color it? Yeah, I'm not going to color mine. The Bible talks about gray hair as a crown of wisdom. Yeah, that's nice if you're a dude, but a lot of women are like, yeah, yeah I don't want to be the 35-year-old with gray hair. Yeah, my mom colors her hair and she's pretty great. I, I do think that like there's also an aspect. Should I get Botox, plastic surgery? So, so here's how nice of clothes should I wear? So here's part of the mission of God. And here's, here's what I'm getting at is the, the stain of sin affects us in a variety of ways, right? Like you get a cancer, it's good and true. You should resist that cancer spreading. You don't go like, well, God made my body. So okay, sarah, sarah, what will be, will be, here we go. Like it's good to resist the effects of sin on the body, right? One of the effects of sin on the body is aging, right? Like I think. Uh, when I go to the gym, part of my motive is play with my great grandkids. Yeah, right. And part of my motive is I want to age slower if I can, recognizing that that you always lose that battle. Sure, you never succeed in that. Yeah. But man, if I could live to wrestle on the floor with my great grandkids, that'd be awesome. Odds are it won't happen because numbers are numbers. Right. But if I can do it, that'd be great. So resisting the effects of aging is not a problem. I also think, but that's that, not a beauty thing for you. You're not going. I want to. I want my great grandkids to think. Gosh, grandpa, grandpa's he, got banging he glutes. Is good looking. Grandpa's glutes are. Killing no, that, me. that's like you want to be functionally. You want to be able to get up and down off the toilet. You want to be able to play with the kid. That's not a beauty thing. Well, I think part of it is beautiful when things function as they're supposed to function. Okay. You know, like that's why you can watch Michael Jordan highlights and go, "Man, it's beautiful." It's because his body's doing like stuff that it should be doing. Like it's it's functioning magnificently. So, one way of resisting aging, I mean, there's lots of ways of resisting aging. Are you saying we should do all those? I think so that the look of aging. Yeah. So there's different, there's ways of resisting the look of aging that actually make you less healthy and are actually like result in non-beauty, like artificiality. Yeah. Like uh, artificial things have a place, but artificial is not real. And so I think part of being human is embracing reality and, and I do think that nihilism or Epicureanism, one of the things it does is it creates this fear of aging. And I think our porn saturated culture creates this obsession with youthness, mm. not, not because youth equals like functioning well or it equals contribution, but youth equals away from death. And I'm afraid of death. And so my fear of death leads to my obsession with not aging. Yeah. And so sometimes resisting the effects of aging can lead, can be a result of like this unprocessed fear of death. The book of Hebrews talks about, um, the fear of death is what leads people in all sorts of sin, like this Epicurean impulse meeting. I have to, I getting old is terrifying. Like whether you're turning 30 or turning 40, turning 50, turning 60, there's like this uh, newfound wave of existential angst that comes over you as you're getting older and the fear of death leads to the fear of aging. And some of that can be this motive. And so this is like part of the deal is uh, maybe that's what I'd say, right? Yeah. There's a piece of me that goes to the gym because I want to like, Taylor to be really into me. Taylor's my wife, to be very clear, right? Yep. There's a piece of me that goes to the gym, and I don't think that's bad. I don't think wanting my wife to be into me is a bad thing. Sure. There's also a piece of me that goes to the gym because sometimes, like, being a pastor is a bunch of nebulous. You never really know when you're done. You're yep. never done pastoring people, but you can start and finish a workout and be like, oh, that happened, you know? And yep. and I won or I lost, and it was clear. And the piece of me wants to play with my grandkids. So there's all these, like, these multiple motives going on in all human decision-making, some of which are healthy, some of which are unhealthy. But I think the fear of death or like the worship of youth in contrast to the biblical vision that appreciates and celebrates wisdom, but also like repudiates the effects of sin on the body and wants to resist it. Like there's like this duality in there that I think matters tremendously. Yeah. And so as much as anything, I feel like you're not saying beauty should be the only consideration or even the primary consideration, but it should be a consideration that it's part of how God made the world. It's part of how God made us. It's part of life in his world and to um, resist it. Or to idolize it is either approach is not good. Absolutely, because there's a form of pursuit of beauty that is dehumanizing. 
and it leads to premature death. And like I think about how many like professional bodybuilders die prematurely because they pump themselves for hormones and then their hearts give out and die. Like yeah. that's a a form of, that's a way of pursuing aesthetic that actually dehumanizes and destroys and kills. And that's one of the ways you know that you probably shouldn't do that, right? And yeah. and some of those things how how they play out are really different person to person and function to function. But I do think that broadening understanding of beauty from just being pure attractiveness, because we tend to think of beauty and think of like, I'm attracted to someone or something. But Mm -hmm. part of beauty is designed well, functioning well, existing well. Like a, a, you're not attracted to a beautiful Glock nine millimeter that is just like simple and clean and like you shouldn't be. I know know some people that are. (laughs) Yeah, but there's but it's like the the simplicity. The, the clarity, the the lack of waste or excess is part of what can even create beauty. It's not just like ornate fine arts. Like it's it's good arts too, not just fine arts that are beauty. Nice. All right. Any uh, any last words or exhortations for us on this one? No, I just know a lot of Christians who have this guilt about caring about beauty and they have to like hyper justify everything mm. and just I like it because it's beautiful and I like beauty and I like seeing beauty like beholding the glory of the Lord, like the heavens declaring the beauty of the Lord is part of what God made us do that. I think being able to see beauty and for us to see the source of the beauty behind the beauty is like the real move of maturity. Not just, I like it because it's beautiful, period. Yeah. But I like that beauty, God makes beauty. Hmm. And even talking about humans, like that's part of the function of the image of God is right. Like, like I'm looking right at you, Luke, I'm going to say something pretty awkward, but you have beautiful blue eyes. You. Right? God designed your eyes, right? And and I don't want to just like appreciate beauty period at the end, but I also want to be able to see the author and the creator and that he gives me these five senses to appreciate and enjoy and engage. Yeah. And so it should lead this gratitude to the Lord for beauty, not just appreciation of beauty period, but it's like beauty that facilitates gratitude. And so That's good. I hope we can be a people that uh, appreciate all those things and like are grateful that God created the world that he created and not some two-dimensional stick figure, nothing world where... There's no senses besides, like, we're all computers just pumping out zeros and ones. Like, he could have done that. Sure. But he chose to create this world that's sensuous, and so I'm grateful for that. Mm. Well, that's really good. Uh, uh, so thanks, Seth. Thank you all for listening, uh, whether you're uh, driving down the street with the windows uh, down and the sunroof open, or you're uh, folding laundry, or uh, I don't know what you're doing, but uh, hopefully you have some beauty in your day today. And I guess that's it. So we'll see you next time. Hey.